Well, good evening. Welcome. Those of you coming in, just make yourself comfortable. Bring your coffee or tea or whatever in and have a seat. I am really excited to talk about this lesson, actually this whole series on parables. And so I'm going to pray for us and we're going to jump right in. This is, this is fascinating parables tonight. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this evening that we can gather together to study your word. I pray that you would open our hearts and pour in this understanding that will lead to different ways of living and the blessings that you have for us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you're familiar with us, you know that if you'll text your questions during class, try to answer as many as we can. There's the text number. I think it's on your handout as well. We're in a series of the parables of Jesus. The reason I like to study the parables, for a couple of reasons. First of all, over a third of Jesus' teaching was in the form of stories, these parables, these particular kind of stories. But I like studying it because you'll see the whole breadth of Jesus' teaching in his parables. He covers the whole framework of his teaching and ministry in these parables. In this lesson, I want to talk about the teaching of Jesus. This is really foundational. The teaching of Jesus through which all the rest of his teaching and ministry needs to be viewed to be properly understood, in my view. To really fully understand what Jesus is doing, these, this teaching is key. And I tweeted that, and some of you had some really good ideas. Uh, just kind of a teaser, like, what do you think it might be? And some really great ideas on Facebook, by the way. It tells me you guys are really thinking about this. A couple that weren't mentioned, but that are really common, for example, is, well, Jesus' foundational teaching is that God loves you. And Jesus came to tell you that, and he came to show you that on the cross. And that's true, that Jesus came and he told us that God loved us, and he showed us that God loved us. But unfortunately, the way that's commonly understood, it's not comprehensive enough to really explain why Jesus came. It doesn't encompass the wrath of God. It doesn't encompass some of the harsh things Jesus had to say to correct some behavior. The way we commonly understand love, with all due respect to the Wesleyan idea of holy love, which is very broadly encompassing, but the way we usually think about God loving us really doesn't encompass Jesus' teaching broadly enough. It's true, it's just not enough. Another common way to think about Jesus' foundational teaching is that he came to die on a cross so we could be saved and we could go to heaven. That's also true. It is something that he did. But again, it's not broad enough. For one thing, it's very me-centered. You know, Jesus came and it's all about me. And it really leaves out the huge scope of what God's trying to do. We need some idea that's much bigger, much more comprehensive than that. And these parables are going to talk about that. Probably the best way to introduce this is to ask this question. What did Jesus think he came here to do? That's an interesting question. You go, okay, Terry, that's just a blinding flash of the obvious. But really, stop and think about it. Because I think the answer to that question is something that you know, but that we overlook what did Jesus think he was doing? Well, it turns out he talked a lot about it. So let me show you what he said. I'm going to give you tiny little samples. Uh, here's three of the Gospels. Jesus began to preach, and here's what he preached. Have you ever wondered, when Jesus went from village to village to village, that three years of his ministry, what were his sermons about? This is what he was talking about. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Then in Mark, 
After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Then Luke, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him there. They said, stay here, teach us more. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent here. Now, that phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, Matthew likes to use the phrase kingdom of heaven because Jews didn't say the name of God. So they didn't want to say the kingdom of Yahweh. And so they used this euphemism. In other words, they just use another phrase. They call it the kingdom of heaven. It means the kingdom of God. That phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, occurs 400 times in the New Testament. It's talked about all the time. You'll see Jesus tying it in. Let me show you another passage that just talks about, this is just another passage of Jesus' ministry. It says, he went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. What was he teaching? Preaching the good news about the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. People brought all those who were ill with various diseases and crowds from the Galilee, the Decapolis, think Jordan, Jerusalem, Judea, all this area came flocking to Jesus. And what was he preaching? About the kingdom of God. This is the foundational idea that Jesus came to talk about, this mysterious thing called the kingdom of God. But it wasn't just Jesus. Let me show you, and here's just another sample, because like I said, this, pat, this phrase is in the New Testament 400 times. Here's one, for example, uh, Philip. When they, but when they believed, Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So what were the disciples talking about? The kingdom of God. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly. If you ever wondered, as Paul went from town to town, he'd go into the synagogue. What did he talk to him about? He talked about this. He spoke boldly for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. He'd open up their Old Testament and start showing them about this kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Very last thing in Acts is Paul imprisoned in Rome, and it leaves it this way. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house. He's a prisoner, but he's able to interact. He welcomed everyone who came to see him. And boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. So what Jesus came to do was to, and here's the basic idea, he came to establish the kingdom. This idea, and we're going to flesh out what did he mean by that? What is this kingdom? This idea is what Jesus came preaching. This was his message. It was really brilliant in this sense. When he said, repent... For the kingdom of heaven is here. That simple statement was a declarative fact. He said, I'm going to tell you something about reality. God's kingdom has arrived. So it was a fact. And it was a fact that demanded a reaction. What, what reaction? Repent. That word means literally change your mind, change your direction, change your way of living, change what you're living for. So the idea of repentance, change your mind. It was a simple statement of fact. The kingdom of God has arrived. 
And what does that mean for you and me? It means it's time to change direction. That's what Jesus was preaching. He came to establish the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? That's a fair statement. It's not a hard thing to answer. Let me take you to uh, a passage that you know very well. This is the very first part of the Lord's Prayer. And this gives us a great simple insight into what is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. It's a prayer. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the way people have understood since the time of Jesus, what is the kingdom of God? It is wherever God rules. Jesus talked about this world, and he said, Satan is the ruler of this present world, meaning this is not the kingdom of God, is what he said. He said, I came bringing the rule of God to a place where it does not exist. So establishing this kingdom of God is what Jesus came to do. He came to tell people that there was a new kingdom, a new place that was coming. Well, just like if you were going to travel to another country, another kingdom, we call them nations, and feel free to, to call it the nation of God if you want to, but we call it another nation. If you were going to go overseas to another nation, you would want to know some things about it because you would know that it's going to be different. I mean, do they drive on the right side of the road or not? Do they speak this language? Do they have any customs that I need to know about? Are there any things I might do that would get me in trouble? Is there anything I need to do when I go to this country? Well, that's kind of the same with the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus came to do was, number one, to establish this kingdom. That's what the cross is about. That's what the redemptive story of God is about, is about establishing this kingdom. But then he goes on to teach many times in parables, other times not, about what is this kingdom like. He's going to talk about what do you need to do to get into this kingdom, what does it look like to live in this kingdom. He's going to talk about a lot of things, and that's what the rest of these parables are really going to be about. It's what Jesus' teaching is really about, is he's fleshing out this idea of the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at a few of the parables just to get some key ideas of what is this kingdom, and then we're going to look at, so what does that mean to me? In other words, what do I need to do with that now that I understand it? Okay? Well, let's start with a few parables. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 13, not because that's the only place you can find kingdom parables. There are a lot of kingdom parables. I mean, it is an important idea, but there are seven of them in this one chapter, and I just want to look at a couple of these, but let's dive in and look at, at a couple of these parables out of Matthew 13. These parables, by the way, exist in other Gospels. They're just all conveniently located in this one chapter for us. Here's the first one. Matthew 13, 31. Jesus told them another parable. This is in a string of parables about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in the field. Though it is the smallest of all of your seeds, Yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes as big as a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Well, first of all, that's a really graphic image. In fact, I put a picture there. Those uh, on the right, those are mustard plants, and they're all over the place in Israel. And when you just walk up to these mustard plants, which we did, 
And here's a shameless plug. We are going back to Israel in February. And if you go, you can taste these. You'll see what this tastes like, all right? That may not be enough to get you there, but the rest of the trip's worth it too. Seriously, that's an, that is a mustard seed, and that's a great little picture because you open these little pods, and there are four or five in there, and you put them in the palm of your hand, and they are really tiny, little tiny seeds. And you just pop them in your mouth and chew them, and surprise, tastes like mustard, right? I mean, they really do, but they're all over the place. And so Jesus is using a really graphic example. He said, I'm going to tell you what the kingdom of heaven's like. Because it's hard to explain this, apparently, by just a simple statement. So he uses these stories. He says, you know how small a mustard seed is? And they go, yeah. He said, and you know how big the plant gets? Yeah. He said, kingdom of heaven's like that. Well, what's he saying? Clearly, he's saying that the kingdom of God is growing in the world, and it's going to be very big, like a mustard plant, but it's going to come from a very small beginning. He uses this analogy about faith later, but right now he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God's like. It starts really small, very humble beginnings, and it gets very big in the world. So it's talking about the growth of the kingdom in the world. That's kind of significant, because if you think about Jesus coming to usher in the kingdom, he's kind of like a mustard seed in this sense. Very unimportant, very small. I mean, stop and think about this. There is no reason Jesus could not have come to establish this kingdom as a conquering general, very powerful individual. No reason he couldn't have come as kind of a, a very rich person who came and used his wealth to you know, buy up television stations and invent the internet and you know, establish the kingdom that way, right? There's no reason he couldn't have come as a huge political figure or the smartest man of his age who understood all the mysteries and just amazed everybody. But that's not how Jesus came. He came like a mustard seed. Think about it. He's born into the world a baby, helpless baby. And if you read the first part of the story, you think Herod's going to kill this kid. I mean, he's got no soldiers. He's got no bodyguard. He's got nothing. He's weak. He's tiny. He's a mustard seed. Well, at least he grew up going to private schools. No, actually, he didn't. He's just from a blue-collar family, right? Socially lower tier in a place that was ruled by the Romans pretty brutally. Economically, no. Nah. His family was very poor. Jesus himself, homeless. When he dies on the cross, his possessions are literally on his back. You know, I mean, that's it. So economically, he's a mustard seed. I mean, he's just nothing powerful. Educationally, he knows a lot. You stop and think about it, they say, how could this man understand these things when he's never been to college? He's never been to the rabbinic school. So Jesus comes as a mustard seed. And so he's basically saying the kingdom of God is going to be like that. That's good news for you and me. Because Paul is later going to say, not many of you, we're big, important people in this world. But in the kingdom, you're big, important people. God can use you in big ways. Remember when Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom, you need to become like what? A little child, right? So you see this idea of this parable is telling you something important about the kingdom. Very important to you and me is that you just have to be a mustard seed. You don't have to be something huge and important. 
So, first lesson, the kingdom of God is growing in the world. Well, right after that is another parable. And it's got a little different take. Next verse, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Well, that's interesting. You'd think, wow, you're not helping us much here, Jesus. Well, the first one, you see the idea of small beginnings, God does great things. The kingdom grows into the world. This one looks more internally, and you get the idea of a little bit of yeast moves all the way through the dough. The idea there is that the kingdom of God is growing from inside. It's not just outside. In fact, listen to this. Jesus confounds the Pharisees when he was asked. Once when the Pharisees asked him when the kingdom of God is going to come, because he's saying the kingdom of God is coming, and he said, well, when is it going to come? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God doesn't come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, or you just started a new political party, or you just conquered the Romans. He said, actually, the kingdom of God is within you. Well, that's this leavening idea, this yeast idea. You put a little in, and the next thing you know, it works through the whole loaf. So what Jesus is saying, something almost paradoxical, he says the kingdom of God is small and grows in the world. He says, but also, actually, the kingdom of God is growing inside of you. The kingdom of God is like a little yeast in your life that's going to affect the entire batch of dough. So the kingdom of God is growing in you. That's a very subversive process. That's another thing about the kingdom of God. It's very subversive. I mean, stop and think. He could have said this parable. The kingdom of God is like a building, and all of you get out there and start making bricks. We're going to put them in the mold, and we're going to press them in the mold, and that's what you are. We're going to press you all in the mold, and we're going to fit you in. And we think about our religion this way sometimes, by the way. I need to fit in. I need to act this way. I need to be a brick inside the mold, and then we're going to stack all of you up, right? We're all going to be little clones, and we're going to act the right way, and we're going to do exactly the right thing, and we're going to build us up, and that's what the kingdom's like. That's not what he said, though, is it? He didn't say it's going to come from outside you and press you into a mold. He says it's going to plant inside, and it's going to be like yeast, and before you know it, it's going to be subversive, and it's going to change the way you think, and the way you act, and it's going to change everything about your life. That's what this parable's saying. Different than the first one, isn't it? The kingdom of God is growing in you. It's very subversive. Here's another important thing from this parable. And I realize I'm going through these kind of quickly, so just pause if you have questions and put them in, but I want to just tick off some of the things that he's saying. Another thing that this parable is saying is that the kingdom of God grows by its power, not by yours and mine. Stop and think about what another thing this parable could have said. The kingdom of God is like a powerful movement in the world. It's like the ultimate Facebook page, and it's got more likes than anything you've ever seen. It's like the 700 Club on steroids. Everybody belongs to it. It's like AARP. You're going to belong to it whether you want to or not. I mean... Anybody, you know, when you turn 50, get the card and says, hey, you're a member. I didn't join. You know, I mean, it's, that could have been the parable, right? It could have been the kingdom of God is going to be so great. Everybody's going to sign on for this thing. It's going to be the biggest movement you ever saw, right? That's not what this parable says. 
This parable actually goes the other way. It says the kingdom of God doesn't need you and me to jump in to make it grow. We have a part to play, but fundamentally Jesus is saying the kingdom of God grows by God's power. It doesn't rely on us. That's, that's really huge because sometimes we think, well, if I'm going to share the gospel, I need to be really eloquent or I need to know all the answers or I need to be a Bible scholar. I need to be the Bible answer man before I can share my, the gospel with someone. This parable says, no, the growth of the kingdom doesn't depend on our abilities. God's power is what grows it. Another powerful thing. One more out of this story. The other thing about yeast, this is a particularly powerful image. The other thing about yeast is that you can't get rid of it. Once you put it in the dough, the dough is never the same. Stop and think about that for a minute. It's not like you can say, okay, changed our mind, take the yeast out of the dough. That's like trying to say, put the toothpaste back in the tube, which I'm pretty sure Jesus would have used that parable, but they didn't have toothpaste in those days. But really, it's kind of, can you go backwards? Can you stop that? You can't stop it. In other words, it pervades everything, and you are never the same. That's why people say that if we believe, if we trust Jesus, if we enter the kingdom of God, it affects everything in our life. It's like leaven. It grows inside us. It affects the way we think, the way we talk, the way we act. It is going to grow inside us and affect everything about us. It not only changes the outside, it actually changes who we are, not just what we do. When you read the book of Romans, you read the rest of Jesus' teaching, you're going to hear this. You're going to hear him talking less about how you behave and more about who you are. That's what this parable is saying. These two little stories, I mean, you see how brilliant Jesus is to teach in these stories? You couldn't write that down just straightforward by giving these images. You and I can begin to cognitively let the word into our hearts by understanding a mustard seed, something like me, small, insignificant, that God makes big in the world. Leaven, something that comes in and I barely even notice how it's completely transforming me. Does that make sense? Two brilliant parables about the kingdom. God's starting to try to describe this kingdom to us, something that's very hard to understand in these very simple stories that the more we think about it, the more we understand it, and the more it grows inside of us. So the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. Let me go on to one more because I want to establish the base for this, and this one's a little bit more uh, complicated. He goes on later in the chapter, and he gives a couple of... I'm going to just put these two together because they have the same idea. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold everything he had, and he bought that field. Again, in a similar way, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant, and he's out buying pearls, and he found one that was of unbelievable value. And he went away, totally liquidated everything he had, broke his piggy bank, took the change, everything he had, sold his house, went and bought that pearl. Well, that's yet another picture, isn't it? 
You've got the mustard seed that's telling you something about the growth of the kingdom and the leaven, something profound about how the kingdom works inside us. Now, all of a sudden, he changes the game in a really significant way. And he says, it's kind of like a treasure. And it's a treasure that's so valuable, you would sell everything you had to get it. If that doesn't pique your interest, you know, people are hearing this, they go, Jesus, this is, we got to think about what you're saying here. By the way, this is an aside. For those of you that watch History Channel stuff and read a lot of pop uh, religious books, the Gospel of Thomas contains these two. And this is just a side note, but for those of you who are interested, uh, saying 109 and I think saying 76 have these two parables. But if you read them, they're different. They have a different point to them. And if you read those two parables in the Gospel of Thomas, you will understand why it's not in the Bible, nor should it be in the Bible. So, back to the main point. The parable about the hidden treasure. Okay, what's the surface meaning of this? This has got layer upon layer. The surface meaning is this. The kingdom of God is worth everything you have. So Jesus is saying, giving these interesting little hints, he said, the kingdom of God is going to grow like crazy. It's going to use little things to do it. The kingdom of God is going to be inside you, and it's going to infect everything like leaven. It's going to make you great. It's going to take, think about this, the idea of leaven. Anybody ever had just a plain old white saltine cracker without the salt? Yeah, that's bland, bland, bland. Now I want you to envision French croissant with butter on it. I mean, it's just really, yeah, I'm, I'm getting hungry too, but think about that for a minute. That's what Jesus is saying. He said it's going to take your little saltine cracker life and going to turn you into a French croissant. Now, you can quote me on that because nobody's ever taught the gospel that way. Seriously, but that's what he's saying. You know, he says this is the kind of change it's going to make. Kind of makes John 10.10. Makes sense, doesn't it? When Jesus says, I came to give you life, I came to give you the full life. Let me translate. I came to take your saltine and make it into a French croissant. All right, that's what he's saying. He's saying that about the kingdom. Well, here, he's saying, okay, are you, are you interested? He go, you betcha. This thing sounds powerful. Tell me more. He says, well, it's kind of like if you found a treasure, you hid it, you sold everything you had. And the message there is the kingdom is worth everything that you have. Well, let's pause for a second because it's easy to run past that one without thinking it through. Is there anything... Anything in this world that you would sell everything you have for? I would argue that there are. There are a few things that you would sell everything that you had for. Uh, maybe not a treasure, literally, hidden in a field, but maybe for your children or your spouse. I've never been put in this position, but I have had. I'll tell you a short version of a story I've probably told you before, but when I think about this story, I think about this event. When our first child was young, we were on vacation, and uh, so he's baby, gets a fever, first child, we freak out, third child, he'll probably get over it. You know, I mean, but first child, it's like, hey, we got to do something about this, you know, this, what, what could happen here, you know, and so wife says to me, we have no children's Tylenol, we need to get this children's Tylenol. So we happen to be in uh, New Mexico in a place where First of all, there's no, probably not any place to buy it in this little town anyway. Certainly isn't any place to buy it in the evening. So we call Taos, New Mexico, and it turns out that there is a store there 
that there's a Walmart there that you could get to and I could get some of this. Unfortunately, they closed in 30 minutes. Taos is like 45 minutes away. So what do I do? Put on my cape, go out, jump in the car. I take off going warp speed, right? Breaking every known speed law. Why? I've got to get this medicine for this child. Now, to be fair, a little overly dramatic. This child would probably have been okay either way. But I didn't know that. I just knew that if I went back without that Tylenol, Laura was going to be very upset. You know, I was going to get the, you're not my superhero anymore. Can't have that. You know, so I'm going to get this Tylenol. So I get there, and this is not exaggeration. This is not a preacher story. This is a true story. So can, can we edit that out of the tape? I literally come pulling up into the parking lot, and as I come screeching up, I mean literally right in front of the door because there's nobody in the parking lot, the guy is locking the door. I mean, I can see him there. I leap out of the car, and I think, nothing will keep me from convincing this guy to open this door. And so, fortunately, really nice guy, opens it back up, powers up the register, sells me some Tylenol. Okay, true story. So I go back, I'm a hero, child lives, story goes on. But I know that that's, that's a small thing. But you know, on that car ride, maybe you've been in worse situations than that, but you can at least sympathize with me that that was one of those, hey, I, I'll do whatever it takes within reason. You know, I really need to get this. I, I feel like this is so important. That's kind of the image in this. Jesus is using a treasure because pretty much everybody can go, well, if I found a treasure, what would I do if I got the winning lottery ticket and it's going to cost everything I owed, but I'd make hundred million dollars. You bet I'll sell my house. He's kind of trying to get us to sympathize with that feeling. Well, I remember that feeling. And so this, on the surface, what this parable is about is the kingdom is like that. It's something that is so powerful, so important to you. You would literally sell everything you had to get it. Well, hold that thought about selling everything you had, because Jesus is going to talk about that a little more. But I want to pause for just a second. This parable brings up something that Jesus does a lot. And that is he's going to present the kingdom in a way that causes uh, cognitive dissonance. And all I mean by that is he's going to say some things about the kingdom that sound like a paradox. You saw that a little bit. Mustard seed, tiny little seed, great big plant. That seems unlikely, doesn't it? He says, well, the kingdom's like that. He says, little bit of yeast, can't even see it, but the next thing you know, it's completely changed the bread. Kingdoms like that in you, you go, okay, that's, that's kind of interesting. It's not what I would have expected. This parable's even worse. This parable's got an even greater paradox. I don't know about you, but I like things like that. They engage our brain. I think that's why Jesus did this. If he told a story that was just simple... And it said, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is like a hammer. You hit it, and it knocks something in the ground. You go, great, good story. Instead, he tells us these stories that have these real twists and paradox that engage our brains and engage our interest and open our minds to let the kingdom come in. I love statements like that, and so do you, and you hear more of them than you think. So let me introduce you to a couple of theologians who are going to illustrate this idea. Here's a perfect example of a statement that contains within itself a paradox. So Groucho Marx was resigning from a club that he was in, and this is what he told them. 
He said, I don't want to belong to any club that would accept me as one of its members. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but stop and think about it. If you got that, you're on the country club board, and one of your members says, I'm going to have to resign from your country club because I can't stand being a member of a club that would accept me. You know, you go, wait a minute. What did I just hear, right? Give you an even better example. Here's a great American theologian. Yogi Berra popped these out all the time. I mean, everything this guy says is an inherent paradox, right? You got to be very careful if you don't know where you're going because you might not get there. You just kind of step back, you scratch your head and go, let me get back to you in about a week after I think that through. You know, I, I don't even understand what that means. We like statements like that. They catch your attention and they make us think about things. In fact, that they just cause us to go, okay, wait a minute. Well, if it's this, well, no, wait, but what if it's that? That's the way this parable is. Because on the surface, what did it say? The kingdom of heaven is worth everything that you have. But hold this thought. I'll show you another incident here. This incident occurs when a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to get into this kingdom? He says, well, you know the law of Moses. He said, I've Follow those rules. I'm devoted. And Jesus looked at him and he said, and he was very impressed with the young man. He said, you know, there's just one thing you lack to get into the kingdom of heaven. He said, why don't you go sell everything you have and then come follow me? And it said, the young man went away very sad because he had many, many possessions. So here's what Jesus said. Then he said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Again, I'll tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and they said, well, who then can be saved? Why did they react that way? I want you to stop and think about this for just a second. Because if the kingdom is worth everything that you have, then who would be the most likely person to be able to afford to get into the kingdom? A rich person. But Jesus just got through saying, oh, by the way, rich people, very hard for them to get into the kingdom of heaven. And they're going, wait a minute, you just said something paradoxical. You said the kingdom of heaven is worth everything I have, but now you're just telling me it costs more than I have to get in. The kingdom of God is worth everything you have. Oh, and by the way, it costs more than you have to get in. That's just a paradoxical kind of statement. And it astonished the disciples, and it should cause us to stop and think, well, wait a minute, I've got a problem. How do I get into this kingdom? It was bad enough when he said, it's worth everything you have. If necessary, you would be willing to sell everything you had to get into this kingdom. You go, okay, I'm thinking about that. He said, oh, and by the way, don't bother because you don't have enough to get in. Does that make sense? It doesn't, does it? It's a paradox, and it starts to open our mind. In fact, here's a great way to understand something else. That's why I say this teaching about the kingdom is the lens through which everything else is going to make sense. Listen to this teaching of Jesus. John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus secretly at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God. Jesus is like, you do not understand what's going on here. I'm not a teacher that came from God. I came to establish a kingdom. 
Fair enough. He said, because no one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing. And Jesus is like, I didn't come here just to do miracles. That's all part of the kingdom thing. But he said, we know that you're with God. And Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Stop and think about that. We've got this idea of what that means in our head, become a born-again Christian. This is a weird thing to say. I mean, a very weird thing to say. And so Nicodemus says, how? He said, this is a paradox. This makes no sense at all. How can a man, being old, be born again and become a baby again? Surely he cannot enter into the womb a second time and be born. You see, what Jesus is saying here is very consistent with this paradox. The kingdom costs is worth everything you have, but it costs more than you could possibly have to get in. And only people get in who are like little babies who have nothing. Does that sound paradoxical? That's how Jesus describes the kingdom. You sell everything you have to get in, but if you sell everything you have, it's not enough to get in. And in fact, the only people that can get in are the people that have nothing. That's a profound statement about the kingdom of God, and it leaves us in some interesting places with the kingdom. It starts to make us stop and think through, what is he trying to say? What is this kingdom that's coming? So let me just pause there, and we'll talk about these parables just a moment. A recap, what's he saying? Again, there are a lot of kingdom parables, and we're going to touch on a few of them, as we get into some other teachings, he's going to give us different facets of the kingdom. But this is a great way to start with his foundational teaching. His fundamental message is, repent, because the kingdom of God is here. What does that mean, Jesus? He says, it's something that's going to take little mustard seeds like you and me, little, little, little bits of faith, and it's going to do great things with it in the world. It's going to spread like crazy. It's going to become huge. Well, how's it going to do that? What do you need me to do? He said, actually, there's going to be a little bit of yeast, and it's just going to go all the way through you. And it's going to do it by God's power, not ours. And it's going to do it person by person throughout the world. And it's going to grow in a completely different way. Can you understand why the Jews who are waiting for a conqueror to come and get an army and throw off the Romans and establish a kingdom? I mean, a physical nation that's going to take over the earth. Do you understand how puzzling these things are to them? The disciples, remember they were arguing with each other? Who's going to be the greatest in the king? Who's going to be secretary of state when Jesus takes over? You know, who's going to be secretary of the treasury, right? Peter's like, I'm a fisherman. I'll be the secretary of agriculture, you know? I mean, so they're, they're arguing about this because they've got this vision, and here come these kingdom parables. And I'm going to argue that they're just as counterintuitive to us. Probably the best one for us is the last one we talked about, the treasure, we go, okay, what's it going to take? Do I have to tithe to get into the kingdom? Surely I don't have to sell everything I have. Jesus says, yeah, actually you do. Oh, but by the way, once you sell everything you have, it's not enough. Instead, he says, you need to become like a little child. You need to be born again. You need to have nothing to get into the kingdom. That has some profound implications for us in terms of what does that mean for us as we begin to live this out. What does the kingdom life look like? So let me move on and ask this question. How do you make sense of that for us? What does that mean for us? To them, you know what it meant to them? They were puzzled. They did not understand it. In fact, there are places in the scriptures where it talks about Jesus spoke to them in parables so that they would not understand. Well, that is not a problem. 
all right? They did not understand, not right away. With the benefit of looking back, you get all these aha moments. That's what he meant about that. That's how that came to pass. That's how the kingdom got ushered in. And now we begin to see, day of Pentecost, 3,000 people hear this message and enter into the kingdom and become citizens in this new way of doing things. And the word takes root and begins to influence their lives. Then they begin to understand it. For us, we live, we are children of two worlds. And we are always torn between the two worlds. So there are two lessons out of this. I think, what does this mean for us? Two ideas. Number one, first of all, there's some very, very bad news here. The very bad news is this, is this last parable, is that the kingdom is worth everything you have, but everything you have is not enough. That means you can't act good enough, you can't be good enough, you can't do enough good deeds, you can't own enough stuff, you can't sell it and give it all to the poor, you can't do enough to get into the kingdom of God. That is bad news. If it's worth the treasure, if it's the coming rule of God that's going to sweep the world and you go, how do I get in? The bad news is there is absolutely nothing that you can do to buy your way in. There's absolutely nothing you can do to earn your way in. That's the bad news. And here's the good news. Remember all those passages that Jesus was preaching the good news of the kingdom? That parable is not good news. But here is the good news. The good news is Jesus paid your price. Do you see what, what that means in this context? I don't think that means very much when we think about Jesus paid my price. I, I think it probably does. I'm exaggerating. It probably means something to us. But now you understand it in a different light. There's something I couldn't get. It's like in my little story, my little story. It's like I get to the Walmart, and I thought about this. As I pulled into that, that lot, and I'm racing up to the door, I thought, okay, I think I can convince this guy to open the door, you know, whatever it takes. I had this little thought, did I bring my wallet? <laughs> I mean, I literally had that thought. I thought, if I didn't bring my wallet, I might as well just not go home because I do not know how I'm going to explain that to Laura. Yeah, I got there in time, forgot the wallet, hope, you know, hope our son survives. You know, it just, that does not work. It doesn't go over well. Well, that's kind of this thought is like, here I am on the verge of something that I desperately need and want, and I can't get in. And then you get told, your price has been paid. It's like you're going to go to this performance, you're going to the Super Bowl, you can't afford the ticket, but you go to Will Call, there's a ticket with your name on it. That's what the kingdom of heaven's like. You have a ticket into the kingdom at Will Call, so you're going to go pick it up or not. That's kind of the gospel. That's the good news, right? The good news is Jesus paid the price. That's what the cross means. The cross is your entrance into the kingdom, which is much bigger than just, I'm not trying to demean this, it's much bigger than just, oh, your sins are forgiven, and you're good with God, and you're now a member of the club, and you get to go to heaven when you die. This is way bigger than that. This is all about the kingdom. So the good news of the kingdom is you can't get in, and Jesus paid your way in. That's powerful news. Cheap grace is when we don't think the kingdom is worth anything. And that happens when we don't read those stories and realize Jesus thought this kingdom was so valuable, it was worth everything you had, and he paid everything he had for it. Now all of a sudden we begin to value that. That's hugely important 
Because as we live out our lives, as we live out the rest of our lives, if we don't have a sense of the value of the kingdom, we don't have any sense of the value of the gift. I mean, we can talk all day long about Jesus died on a cross for me, but if, let's just be honest with each other, because I've been there, done that. I bet you have too. It's like, yeah, I believe that. He died on a cross for me. He bore my sins, but my life isn't changing. Wonder why. Nothing's different for me. Wonder why. You want to know why? The kingdom doesn't mean anything to me, so the cross means nothing to me. This is a really powerful idea. There's one more idea here that I want to leave you with, but first let me pause and see if we have any questions about it. I know I'm blitzing through this because I'm just really excited and passionate about it, and I hope that the paradox engages our brains. Question? Yes. In the parable about the pearl, it says that the kingdom is like the merchant, not that the pearl is like the kingdom. So what does that mean, that the kingdom sells everything to buy the pearl? Does it mean that the pearl is the cross? Yeah, let's talk about parables. I'm really glad you asked that. Because parables are stories, and they can be pressed too far. And so there are people who want to read, and I'll give you a good example of how to read some significance into that. But the fact that those two parables are together, they're trying to say, I'm going to argue, they're trying to say the same thing. If you put too much stock in, okay, well now, who is the merchant? If the merchant's the kingdom, is it trying to buy itself? Good point. That makes no sense whatsoever. But you put those two together, and what's your, just your gut sense? Kingdom's like this great treasure. Kingdom's like, all right, think about a merchant, he's looking for pearls, and he finds one, and he sells everything to buy it. It's, it's just a story. Some people do think that they are a little different flavors on the kingdom, but the fundamental idea here is... In both situations, people sell everything they have for something that is so valuable. That's the core idea of the story. So I appreciate the question. Scholars, some people want to make a little bit more out of it. I want to just stay with the core idea of the kingdom is something that is so valuable, it is worth everything that you have. Make sense? You mentioned the Gospel of Thomas earlier. And probably regretting now that I did. <laughs> but what's? it's just interesting. But... So can you tell us where it came from, why it's not in the Bible? Are there others? Oh, yeah, good question. If you ever watched uh, some of the specials anymore, it's really popular to talk about, well, these are just four Gospels that made it into the book. There are other Gospels that were unfairly excluded from the book. So there are Gnostic Gospels, there are uh, Apocryphal Gospels, there are tons of, quote, Gospels, things that have that label. They don't look anything like this. You've got the Gospel of Mary Magdalene that, you know, is, it's, these are made up. These are not inspired, okay? These are just things people made up to promote their own ideas. Gospel of Thomas was written by, not by Thomas. There's not a scholar in the world thinks it's written by Thomas. It's very late. It's second century, in my view, at, at best. It's well into the second century, way after these gospels. And when you read them, you realize, whoa, this is weird. And they are kind of weird. But it's really popular right now to say, hey, that's just one version of Christianity. There are all kinds of other versions. So I mention that only because some, you're going to see some of these little stories, but they are kind of really twisted. I mean, in some of them you have Jesus is a homosexual. In another one, he's married to Mary Magdalene. In another one, he's got this secret knowledge, and he hates women. I mean, they're really bizarre. So you've got a lot of other writings that are called gospels, but they don't look anything like these. 
and I am sorry I brought it up. But anyway, so just so you know, that some of these stories appear, and if you read that, I just want you to understand, they're not the same. They're really qualitatively different. If you read them, I mean, they weren't even around, when, in my view, when the early church is accepting this, but if you read them, there you go, man, this isn't even close. This is really strange. So there are a lot of apocryphal gospels, other stories. These authentic stories are starting to try, we're going to wrestle a little bit through the next few weeks with this idea of the kingdom because I think you're going to see that what Jesus is going to talk about now is he's going to flesh out this idea of the kingdom in a lot of really interesting ways. And it's going to make his teaching and his ministry start to really click into this framework. You're going to go, you know what? Thinking about Jesus coming to set up the kingdom and tell us what it's like and start to show us in these brilliant ways how to, how to live a kingdom life, that's what Jesus is doing. And his teaching is going to really fit into this framework. But here's the tension that we all live in with the kingdom. And this is a real life, what what's, does this mean for me? The kingdom is in this world, but not of this world. If it had just been a nation where you just, okay, everybody's going to move to Southern California and a big uh, earthquake's going to happen and we're going to float off into the middle of the ocean and that's the kingdom of heaven. Well, we just all moved there. But he says, no, it's more complicated than that. Yes, it's going to take over the world. Oh, good. How do I join? Well, you don't. It's going to be leaven that kind of changes who you are. And you go, okay, wait, now I've got some tension. Where is this kingdom? That's what Pilate wanted to know. Pilate says, look, they say you're a king. Where's your kingdom? Got an army. What's going on here? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's being very consistent here. Pilate is having a hard time understanding it. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. But you don't see any soldiers here, do you? But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate says, well, okay, but you are a king. He goes, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. I was born to bring this kingdom here. And this is why I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. So what's Jesus saying? He says, yes, I'm a king, and I have a kingdom, and Pilate says, point to it, and he goes, my kingdom is in this world, but it's not of this world. And you see that teaching carried out as uh, in the early Christians, or, or, when uh, the, the disciples try to explain to them about the kingdom, here are some things they say. James 1.27, and here's a great way to understand this, is in a kingdom context, not in a behavioral context. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's an interesting thing to say. If you look at that in a behavioral sense, without a kingdom understanding, okay, I am responsible for keeping myself from acting in a worldly way. A kingdom way of understanding this doesn't look at it externally in a behavioral way, it looks at it more in a leaven, internal kind of way. That's how we need to be thinking about how do we interact with the world. James says you don't want to be polluted by the world. You don't want to take in the leaven of the world and let it in here because the kingdom of God is growing in here. So he's really talking about this in a kingdom way. Is we are in this world, interacting with it, but we can never be of this world. So the kingdom is a unique thing that brings us into tension, and I want us to get comfortable with that tension. 
because we need to understand that as long as the kingdom is in the world but not of the world, we will have a foot in both worlds. I don't mean that in a faith kind of way. I just mean that we're going to go walk about our lives in a world that isn't entirely ruled by God, and we are ruled by God. And James is drawing that distinction. Peter does it even better. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. In other words, you're a new nation. You're citizens of a different nation. A holy nation, people who belong to God. In other words, where God rules, you're in the kingdom. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Why would I declare his praises? Because the kingdom was worth everything I had, and it cost more than I had. And I got in because Jesus paid the way. So I will declare the praises of God, him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You're in the kingdom. Once you had not received mercy, mercy is picking up the ticket at will call. I mean, that's just grace is all that is because I couldn't buy my way in. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. And so there's this natural, very natural tension that we live with as Christians. The kingdom is growing within us and we are growing it into the world but it is very normal for us to feel a sense of warring, of tension. Remember, Ephesians talks about the idea of what's really going on. Our battle is not against flesh and blood as much as it seems. It says our battle is against the unseen forces in this world, the powers of evil in this world. So here we are in the kingdom fighting a battle, and we're going to feel this tension. I hope that resonates with you. As you go about your life, here's how that tension is going to manifest itself. Gosh, I'm not living up to, to the way I should live. I'm not being as patient with my wife as I should be. I'm not being as respectful of my husband as I lost my temper at work again. I'm just not behaving the way I should behave. I was unkind when I should have been kind. I wasn't forgiving when I should have forgiven. Christians have these kinds of thoughts. And it's a natural part of being in the world but not of the world and that's where the kingdom is changing us from the inside out that's why these parables are so important that we don't slip into thinking the kingdom is something that comes in and we have to fit into it god says my holy spirit which ephesians 1 13 when you believe i placed my holy spirit in you is going to transform you and you believe it or not you little mustard seed you little inadequate mustard seed are going to grow like crazy in the world. I hope that that gives us two thoughts. Number one, you know what? Relax. When you and I feel that tension, when we feel that inadequacy, that's part of being in the world but not of the world. And we need to take heart. What did Jesus say? You will have trouble in this world, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How did he overcome the world? Kingdoms here. Kingdoms leaven inside of you. Nothing you can do to stop that. Another passage of scripture. I'm convinced that God is able to finish the good work he started in you. That doesn't say I'm convinced that you will eventually shape up and just be the good person that you're supposed to be. That you'll be all that you were meant to be. Wait, that's an army, U.S. Army thing. But anyway, the army will make you all that you're meant to be. But God is going to do this work inside us. If, am I making any sense? I want you to think about this in a kingdom way. The tension is understandable because you are in a world not ruled by God and you are ruled by God. 
And I want you to take heart in that. In the midst of all the, gee, I don't measure up, that's God's grace. That's being in the kingdom. He is going to transform us. Not going to be by our efforts. Because you know what? What do we say about the kingdom? Jesus said, all your money, all your good deeds aren't enough to get you in. Jesus was the only thing that got you in, and now you're there. So there's this tension, and I hope you can relate to that. And so as you go about your lives this week, this is your assignment, as you go about your lives this week, when you feel that tension, I want you to think, Jesus told me this was going to be the case. This is how he's going to invade this world. It's natural that I feel that way. And I want you to remember these parables, is that, you know what, quit trying to measure up because I cannot measure up. Let's focus on the spirit of God in me that's going to transform me. And so as we go through the rest of these parables, Jesus is going to talk about what that transformation looks like. So you have a week just to sit with the tension. Until next week, we can tell you what you're supposed to do with it. All right, I'll see you next week.